Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for people who want to spread your love and your joy to other people. We thank you, God, that you are teaching us what love really looks like, what what sharing love really looks like, God. Thank you that you are redefining it back for us, that we are redeeming that word and the understanding of that word right now, God. And we just pray, Heavenly Father, that you'll help us to walk it out in Jesus' name. If you'll turn your Bibles or your device or whatever you read the Bible on, we're going to look at a scripture this morning as our text, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, and I'm going to talk to you along the subject today, I will always love you. So we talked about God's love for us, we talked about our love for Him, we talked about our love for others, and now we're going to talk about relational love, marriage pre-marriage relational love even friendship can be applied here Um, so i'm going to talk about the idea i will always love you let's read our text everyone read with me i'm reading out of the niv and it and it reads this way fixing our eyes on jesus the pioneer and perfecter of faith for the joy set before him he endured the cross scorning its shame and set down at the right hand of the throne of God. You know, the Bible told us we've been talking about 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, where it talks about the idea that this is how we know what love is, that God gave his life, laid down his life. Jesus laid down his life for us, and we also should lay our life down for our brothers and sisters. So that's the context of love, and that's what we know is love. So we're going to focus on Jesus this morning. We're going to really figure out how to love always, how to love always. So you can be seated. Tell somebody next to you, I'm glad you're here to see me today. I was reading a little story this week, and it's about a, uh, uh, four people taking a little plane ride. A doctor, a lawyer, a little boy, and a priest were on a Sunday afternoon plane ride, small private plane, and suddenly the plane developed some engine trouble. And in spite of the pilot's best efforts, the plane started to go down. Finally, the pilot grabbed his parachute and he yelled to the passengers that they better jump. And he himself bailed out. Unfortunately, there were only three parachutes and and there were four passengers. So the doctor grabbed one of the parachutes and he said, I'm a doctor. I save lives. I must live. And he jumped out. And then the next person, the lawyer, jumped up and said, I'm a lawyer. And lawyers are the smartest people in the world. I deserve to live. He grabbed a parachute and he jumped out. The priest looked at the little boy and he said, My son, I've lived a long and full life. You are young and you have your whole life ahead of you. Take the last parachute and live in peace. And the little boy handed the parachute back to the priest and he said, Don't worry, Father. The smartest man in the world just took off of my backpack. (laughs) Yeah, some of y'all are like, I don't get it. And then you got it. Yeah. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The Bible says that that is the definition of love. This idea of being committed all in. 
mean, commitment is a big deal. It's a huge deal. It's, 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 it's probably one of the most significant things that we need in our lives. And unfortunately, it's also one of the most, what I would say, dissipating characters of our current culture. That people are not committed like they used to be. They don't understand commitment like they used to. All of us have this issue. I, I love what uh, Martina Navratilova said. She said, the difference between involvement and commitment is like ham and eggs. The chicken is involved. The pig is committed. Right? You know, a lot of us understand involvement. We don't necessarily understand commitment. And, and it's not necessarily our fault. And, it, it, you know, a lot of times I think we think that these kind of characteristics just happen to you. That these kind of characteristics, you just, you just grow up with this. You just, you just do this. This is just who you are. You, you, you just become that. And if you're not that, then you're not that. If you are that, it's not like that at all. These kinds of characteristics are taught to us. We learn them. We learn them because someone has taught us or we pick them up. We've caught it from someone because we've been around someone. Our family culture was maybe a culture of commitment. Our family culture was maybe one that when you say you're going to do something, you do it. When you commit yourself to it, you show up for it. You don't act like you're going to do it. You don't talk about doing it. You do it. You're committed. Commitment is a very strong and powerful thing. But a commitment is an all-in thing. Scotty and I have an experience, a shared experience that's really funny. There was a, there was a time that uh, we were, we were uh, at, when I was at Church of the Harvest in Oklahoma City, we were adopting another campus. It was actually the campus that uh, Scott or, uh, Pastor Scotty was the youth pastor at. Um, and we didn't really know each other, but there was a guy on the staff that he really wanted to be the next campus pastor. We already had our eye on Pastor Scotty. We were like, this is the guy. He's, he, he, has, he already has a lot of our DNA. He's a lot like we are. He, he's a good leader. And, but this other guy on the team, who we found out later was quite a handful, and, and he, he was just, he was this guy that was just, he wanted it. He spoke a lot. He said a lot of things. He wanted to be in the limelight. But as far as really being the, you know, that person who could go there and be that dedicated, committed, he just wasn't that guy. But, but, but at one night when, when we had a big Sunday night service and we were inviting the, the, the staff of the new campus that we had adopted in Norman, we invited them and we pulled them up on stage and we were just appreciating them and let's welcome them and all this. And out of the blue, uh, out of the blue, this one, one of the staff members, I'm not going to say his name, but he was, he was on that staff and the guy I was talking about, and he steps up out of the blue and he says, pastor, can I say something? Now, now I have to just tell you, whenever you're in a situation like that, that's, that's always a little nerve wracking. It's always a little scary because when, when you're not expecting someone to say something and then they get on stage and you have a mic and they ask you out loud in front of everybody, can I say something? You're like, I don't, I don't know if you should or not. I mean, it feels very nerve wracking as a pastor. So he gets the mic and he tells us all, I just want you to know we are in 100%. And he gets this coin and this coin says all in. Isn't that what it said? It said 100% all in. And he hands it to Pastor Kirk and, 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 and he receives it. And it's just like a very ceremonial moment. And he's totally committed. I mean, I, we are all in. We are 100%. We're so glad to be Church of the Harvest. We're so glad to be a part of this. We're so glad to be moving forward in this way. 
And it was just, it was like, and everybody's like, oh, that was, yes. And then the, two days later, he found out he wasn't going to be the campus pastor and he was all out. Uh, I, I don't know if you know people like that, but like it was moments and he was, he went from telling the whole church how definitely committed and strong and we're in and we love this to, I didn't get my way. I'm going to go somewhere else. And you know what? A lot of times we understand involvement, but we don't understand commitment. If you've ever been on a team of any kind, especially in athletics, you get this. You get this concept because there are always players who no, understand involvement but don't necessarily understand commitment. Uh, we've got a couple of teams right now uh, that, that are just really playing lights out and it's so exciting. But I can tell you, they understand not just involvement. They understand commitment because if you're going to be excellent at what you do, you have to be committed. Everybody say that word after me, committed. You have to be committed. Now, in our relationships today, especially as it pertains to marriage, we have to understand commitment is a huge, huge part of marriage. And a lot of times we interpret love to mean feelings. We interpret love to mean emotion. We really, a lot of times, we, we confuse the term infatuation with the term love. Because love is not a feeling. It's more than a feeling. Anyway, love is not a feeling. It is a not emotion. It is a decision. It is a choice. It is an action. Love is an action. What we just heard up here in this spread the joy moment, that was action. That wasn't just, hey, we ought to help a homeless person. No, it was action. It was, it was involvement or assent to involvement when they were thinking about helping, but it became commitment when they actually spent some money and went and helped. Do we get the difference? There's a difference between involvement and commitment. And in our relationships, a lot of the time, we are severely involved, but not necessarily always committed. And you say, no, I'm very committed in my relationship. Well, let's, let's, let's define what commitment is because I think the word commitment and the word love are synonymous. I think you cannot have love without commitment. And I think you cannot have commitment without love. Commitment is like the glue that holds a relationship together. You remember that scripture where Jesus was talking about marriage and he said, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. Uh, you know, we have, I always tell people when I'm marrying them, listen, I tell the families, look, you've got to allow these spouses to cleave. They, you got to let them leave and you got to let them cleave. And that means you don't allow them to come back and, 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 and tell on each other. Uh, okay, come on, y'all. Don't get quiet on me. Now, I'm not talking. Now, listen, I always make a disclosure when I'm talking about marriage. I'm not talking about it. Uh, I want to disclose that any of the things I talk about, I'm not, I'm not dealing with infidelity. I'm not talking about abuse or anything like that. You obviously need help in those situations. You obviously need to work on something or get something worked out. I'm not talking about that. There are things with which you would find reason to be a part. I don't want anybody to be under condemnation if you've gone through breakups and divorce or whatever like that. Things happen in life. But I want to encourage you, that's not God's best for you. And what God really wants is he wants this leave and cleave. He wants this, your spouse, you, you and your spouse are to become one. The two shall become one. 
The, the glue that holds that together is commitment. Now listen to me very carefully. The glue that holds that marriage, that love together is commitment. And that word adhere or that word cleave, it literally means to adhere. This is why it hurts so bad when you do have a breakup. It hurts so bad when there is divorce because it's not just like, it's not just like you're just going, well, you go your way, I go mine, and that's it, we can just be done with No, it's as if you're, t have you ever had a piece of paper that was glued to another piece of paper? And you start tearing that piece of paper off, and what happens with that? Parts of the other piece of paper come off with it. There, it, it, it begins to tear at and tear up the, the, the person on the other side of the relationship. That's what that adherence is that God's talking about. He said it's better to be one. And then the Bible said two are better than one. And it said that a threefold cord is not easily broken. So your commitment that keeps your relationship where it should be is first and foremost a commitment to Jesus Christ. If you can be committed to God and both of you are committed to your relationship with God and you're in pursuit of that relationship with God, I can tell you your life is going to be far better than it is going to be worse. The Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. So if, think about this. If you're seeking God first and your, your spouse is seeking God first, then as you move closer and closer and closer to God, what are you also doing? Moving closer and closer and closer to one another. Yeah. That intimacy, that closeness, that, that connection, that's what God wants for us. And you cannot have that. You cannot have that. I cannot have that outside of commitment. A total all-in, I'm jumping in with both feet. A commitment means to pledge oneself to a position or an issue or a question, express one's intention, feeling, to bind or obligate as by pledge or assurance. In other words, excuse me, in other words, when you say those vows at your wedding, that means something. I'm going to say that again because evidently y'all were imagining being somewhere else at that moment because you didn't hear that. If you'd have heard that, if you'd have really heard that, you'd be like, that's right, pastor. Come on. Those vows mean something. It's not, it's not okay just to stand up and say, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, and then never do it. I'm going to be committed to you no matter what. I'm going to love you no matter what. I'm going to walk with you through the hard things no matter what. You know, so much of the time when we're married, the, the struggles we have is because we get on opposite ends of the fight. Whatever the struggle is, we get on, one gets on one side, one gets on the other. And really the truth is, it doesn't matter who's at fault, both of you got to get on the same side of the fight. And you're pulling against the enemy that's trying to pull your marriage apart. Seek first the kingdom of God. Be committed. Commitment is simply the act of committing. Commitment is the action of love. It is the glue that seals a relationship and holds it together. What does com commitment really look like? I'm going to take a turn here in this message. It's going to trip you out for just a minute because it doesn't seem to have anything to do with marriage. But remember, when, when I talk about this, just I want you to remember something for a minute. I, I want you to understand that commitment really has very little value in good times. It's incredibly easy to be committed when everything is going well. Come on, somebody. But it's a, a completely different thing to be committed when everything is going horribly. 
Now, that's taken into context all the biblical reasons and the biblical truths about marriage and relationships. But it's not, listen, it's not easy to be committed when it's hard, when everything is difficult, when everything is not like you, when you, when you were promised certain things from your spouse and they're not acting like they should, right? It's kind of like a, a, a microcosm of that is what you thought you were getting. And then you woke up after the honeymoon night and you woke up the next morning, roll over and their breath stinks just like yours does. And there's no makeup and it's like, now, wait a minute. And that's just the guys. I was joking. I was joking. The commitment is, has its deepest and truest value when it's hard. I want you to remember that Jesus said that the marriage is a, it is a microcosm of his relationship with his bride. So when we look at marriage, what it is, it's showing us what it's supposed to look like in his relationship with his bride. So that's why Paul says, wives, respect and submit yourselves to your husband. First, he says, submit yourselves one to another. Yeah, let's not forget to do that pre-scripture. You know, forget your, and then it says, wives, submit yourself to your own husbands, not to all husbands. Just making it clear. So, so pre- present yourselves together. But then it goes on to say, respect your wife. I mean, expect, respect your husband wives. And then it tells the husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. So he doesn't just say love your wives. He says, love your wives as. As. He defines it. He describes it. This is how you love your wife. You lay your life down for her. The Bible even goes on to say that when, he, when, a, when a man serves his wife and loves her like Jesus loves the church, he lays his life down for her. He's presenting her back to himself as a spotless vessel. In other words, I tell a lot of guys, if you want to know if your wife is not, if you feel like that there's not a connection, if you feel like your wife is not behaving in a way that you feel like is conducive to a harmonious relationship, the first place you go is not to her and to lay blame on her. The first place you go is to the mirror and you ask yourself, am I leading? Am I guiding? Am I partnering? Am I loving? Am I laying myself down? Because if I lay myself down, it will present her back to me in a way that is holy and pure and right because that's what the Bible says. So don't be blaming people and wives, you don't be blaming either. You see how far that took Adam and Eve, right? Adam said, Adam even blamed God. Adam said, that woman, Adam said, he said, God, where are you, Adam? He said, well, I was hiding. Well, why are you hiding now? Because I was naked. Well, who told you you were naked? Why'd you do this? Because that woman that you gave me. And then Eve goes, well, that snake tricked me. There's no room for blame. There's no room for pointing fingers. There's no room for accusation. Come on, there's no room for that. Somebody say amen. amen. So what does commitment really look like? If there is this example between Jesus and the church, let's look a little bit what Jesus did for us. Let's, let's, let's look and see what the commitment really was from Jesus to us. I want to give you a little condensed version 
that, that was written by a, a medical doctor, C. Truman Davis, on the crucifixion of Jesus. So this is the crucifixion of Jesus from the perspective of a medical doctor, and he's giving us an illustration or an example of what really went on medically here. So just bear with me for a moment as I read this to you. Medical, the medical description of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, the physical trauma of Christ, begins in Gethsemane with one of the initial aspects of his suffering, the bloody sweat. It is interesting that physicians uh, of the, the physician of the group, Luke, is the only one to mention this. He says, and being in agony, he prayed the longer and his sweat became as drops of blood trickling down upon the ground, though very rare, the phenomenon, the ph phenomenon of hemothermia. Hydrosis, I think is how you pronounce it, or bloody sweat is well documented. Under great emotional stress, tiny capillaries in the sweat glands can break, thus mixing blood with sweat. This process alone could have produced marked weakness and possible shock. After the arrest in the middle of the night, Jesus was brought before the Sanhedrin and Caiaphas, the high priest. A soldier struck Jesus across the face for remaining silent when questioned by Caiaphas. The palace guards then blindfolded him and mockingly taunted him to identify them as each passed by. They spat on him. They struck him in the face. In early morning, Jesus battered and bruised, dehydrated and exhausted from a sleepless night, is taken across Jerusalem to the praetorium for the, fort, uh, uh, for the fortress of Antonia. It was there in response to the cries of the mob that Pilate ordered Barabbas released and condemned Jesus to scourging and crucifixion. Preparations for the scourging are carried out. The prisoner is stripped of his clothing and his hands tied to a post above his head. The Roman legionnaire steps forward with a flagrum in his hand. This is a short whip consisting of several heavy leather thongs with two small balls of lead attached to the ends of each. The heavy whip is brought down with full force again and again across Jesus' shoulders, back, and legs. At first, the heavy thongs cut through the skin only. Then, as the blows continue, they cut deeper into uh, subcutaneous tissues, producing first an oozing of blood from the capillaries and veins of the skin, and finally spurting arterial bleeding from vessels in the underlying muscles. The small balls of lead first produce large, deep bruises, which are broken open by subsequent blows. Finally, the skin of the back is hanging in long ribbons, and the entire area is an unrecognizable mass of torn, bleeding tissue. When it's determined by the centurion in charge that the prisoner is near death, the beating is stopped. The half-fainting Jesus is then untied and allowed to slump to the stone pavement, wet with his own blood. The Roman soldiers see a great joke in his provincial Jew claiming to be king. They threw a robe across his shoulders and placed a stick in his hand for a scepter. A small bundle of flexible branches covered with long thorns is pressed into his scalp. Again, there is copious bleeding, the scalp being one of the most vascular areas in the body. After mock mocking him and striking him across the face, the soldiers take the sti stick from his hand and strike him across, across the head, driving the thorns deeper into his scalp. 
Finally, they tire of their sadistic sport and the robe is torn from his back. This had already become adherent to the clots of blood and serum in the wounds and its removal, just as in the careless removal of a surgical bandage, caused excruciating pain. Almost as though they were again being whipped and the wounds again began to bleed. The heavy beam of the cross is then tied across his shoulders and the procession of the condemned Christ, two thieves, and execution detail begin its slow journey. The weight of the heavy wooden beam together with the shock produced by copious blood loss is too much. He stumbles and he falls. The rough wood of the beam gouges into the lacerated skin and muscles of the shoulders. He tries to rise, but human muscles have been pushed beyond their endurance. At Golgotha, the beam is placed on the ground, and Jesus is quickly thrown backward with his shoulders against the wood. The legionnaire feels for the depression uh, at the front of the wrist. He drives a heavy, square, wrought iron nail through the wrist and deep into the wood. Quickly, he moves to the other side and repeats the action, being careful not to pull the arms too tightly, but to allow some flexion and movement. The team is then lifted in place at the top of the post and the titulus reading, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, is nailed in place. The left foot is pressed backward against the right foot and with both feet extended, toes down, a nail is driven through the arch of each. As he pushes himself upward to avoid the stretching torment, he places his full weight on the nail through his feet. Again, there's the searing agony of the nail through his feet. Again, And again, the searing agony of the nail tearing through the nerves between the metatarsal bones through the feet. As the arms fatigue, great waves of cramps sweep over the muscles, knotting them in deep, relentless, throbbing pain. With these cramps comes the inability to push himself upward. Hanging by his arms, the pectoral muscles are unable to act. Air can be drawn into the lungs but cannot be exhaled. Jesus fights to raise himself in order to get even one short breath out. Finally, carbon dioxide builds up in the lungs, in the bloodstream, in the cramps partially subside. Spasmatically, he is able to push himself upward to exhale the bring in the life-giving oxygen. Hours of this limitless pain, cycles of twisting, joint-rending cramps, intermittent partial asphyxiation, searing pain as tissue is torn from his lacerated back as he moves up and down against the rough timber. Sorry. Then another agony begins. A deep crushing pain deep in his chest as the pericardium slowly fills with serum and begins to compress the heart. The compressed heart is struggling to pump heavy, thick, sluggish blood into the tissues. The tortured lungs are making a frantic effort to gasp in small gulps of air. The markedly dehydrated tissues send their flood of stimuli to the brain. Jesus gasps, I thirst. He can feel the chill of death creeping through his tissues. With one last surge of strength, he once again presses his torn feet against the nail, straightens his leg, takes a deep breath, and utters his seventh and last cry, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. Apparently to make doubly sure of death, the legionnaire drove the lance through the fifth inner space between the ribs upward through the pericardium and into the heart. 
Immediately there came out blood and water. We therefore have rather conclusive post-mortem evidence that our Lord died, not the usual crucifixion death by suffocation, but of the heart failure due to shock and constriction of the heart by fluid in the pericardium. Being committed is only true if you have options. The man that I just read about going through all of that, the Bible very clearly says that at any point he could have called legions of angels to just say, this is over. This world is not worth this. I'm not going through with this. He could have. He had that option. See, that's what makes commitment, commitment. Because he had the option to just quit. But he chose, no, I, he, he knew before he went through this in the Garden of Gethsemane, he knew. He, he said, Father, if there's any other way to do this, not let, don't let, you know, let this cut pass for me, but not my will, your will be done. All of this that he went through, all of that, you don't do that without commitment. He loves you so much. He loves me so much. He was completely committed in the midst of the most awful, horrendous experience that you or I could possibly imagine. We will never experience anything that even gets close to that. He was committed. And being committed is only true if you have options. In other words, you have a choice and you choose to go through with your commitment no matter the pain. That's when commitment gets real. It's easy to make statements of commitment at the altar on a beautiful day with friends and family. It's much harder staring the face of a pressurized situation knowing you could back out and just walk away. And many do. Many who don't, many also who don't, and find the commitment was absolutely worth it. You know, I want to tell you, I hear a lot of messages on uh, uh, marriage. I hear a lot of messages on marriage and a lot of them just, they're horrible. And, and here's why I say they're horrible because they talk about marriage as if it's a prison sentence. It's just so horrible and it's just so hard, but hallelujah, Jesus will help us make it through it. That is not our approach to marriage. Now you may have had an experience that was like that. This is why young people, it's important who you choose. Best, the, the, the most important decision in your life after receiving Jesus is choosing the right person. And then once you get married, that's the right person. <laughs> Me and Janae have been married or been together almost 34 years. And I would say 95% of that 34 years has been absolutely awesome. Fun, exciting, adventurous, love, and just, she's just the best, and we just have such a great relationship. There's been 5% that's been not awesome because of me, because of her, because of circumstances, because of situations. But we were committed, are committed, and will continue to be committed no matter what because we realize that commitment is worth it. So I'm going to give you three principles of commitment quickly. You should write these down. Number one, the purpose of commitment is to face obstacles, but stick with it and not, be, not give up because it's worth it. The purpose of commitment is to face obstacles, but stick with it and not give up because it's worth it. Everybody say it's worth it. Now, it's hard to say it's worth it when you're in the moment of it not feeling like it's worth it. 
But you got to just keep committing. I love what Norman Vincent Peale said. He said, it's always too early to quit. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9 in the New International Version says this, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So the purpose of commitment, the leadership lesson here, or excuse me, the relational point here is this. Love says work it out, not look for a way out. Now again, I disclose not talking about those other issues of infidelity and 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 abuse and things of that nature and I, i'm just telling you listen i know a lot of people who've had infidelity on both sides and have gotten right with the lord and brought their life back together and had an, a wonderful unbelievably exciting marriage so even that doesn't have to be the end if you want to work it out but i just want to tell you we don't live in a society anymore that works it out we look for a way out Instead of working it out. And that's not just with marriage. That's in life in general. And it, it, it puts a deep concern in me for our next generation, our young generation coming up, that we're not allowing them to figure things out. We're not allowing them to go through hardships. We're catching them, putting a mattress under them, not letting them face the consequences of their actions and figure things out and help them dis discern problems. And what's happening is then when they face troubles on their own without you there to back them up, what's going to happen? They're going to throw their hands in it and look for a way out and they're going to run from one problem to the next problem because they're taking themselves with them as they go because most of the time ladies and gentlemen what problems we have have a lot to do with ourselves but we don't give up we don't quit listen I've been so mad at Janae Gadbury that I could just spit how many of you have ever been that mad you could just spit I mean, I've been so mad at her at times. I remember when I was young, I was really bad temper. Younger, I should say. I, was, I had a horrible temper. She made me so mad one time, I ripped the doors off our armoire. It's so stupid when you do things like that. I think it was over money or telephone bill or something. And she got mad at me one day with a telephone bill. And she said, I can't. Now look at and I, I just took the phone and threw it down. Bam. Busted in pieces. This was your pastor. Long time ago, y'all. Busted that phone in pieces. You know what Janae said to me? Oh, great. Now we got to buy a phone. <laughs> Anger don't help, y'all. It just doesn't help. But you can get so mad. But you know what you don't do? You don't quit. You know, we started practicing. We, when we were first young, we, we would always, I'd leave. I'd go, I'd throw, I'd throw that door open. Just, you know, you'd leave because you can slam something if you leave. So I'd leave and slam the door, get in my car. And I, I, I started driving around and just end up back at the house because where am I going to go, you know? And, and, and we just made a decision. We not, we're not doing that anymore. We raised our kids. You don't get to run to your room and slam the door. You don't get, you don't, when things are tough and they're hard and they're relationally intense, you don't run away. You don't leave the house. You don't, you can step aside from each other. You can take time to think you can process, but walking out even in that way is not okay because you are practicing to leave. We don't run from problems. We work it out. We don't look for a way out. That's what Jesus teaches us to do. Number two. The plan of commitment. Commitment puts into action, or excuse me, commitment puts action to its passion. 
a plan to its priorities. I love what the uh, great leadership manager, one of the one of the most profound business leaders in terms of management, Peter F. Drucker said. Unless commitment is made, there are only promises and hopes, but no plans. Unless there's commitment, there's only promises and hopes, but no plans. James says the very same thing in chapter 2, verse 14 through 16. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In other words, if I talk to you about commitment and I tell you all the great things that how I am and how wonderful I am and how great I am and what I'm going to do for you, but I don't ever do it. See, this is the problem in marriage. Marriage, we get it, we make these commitments and we spend all this money on the wedding And we don't even realize how tough the marriage is and the things we have to work out and grow and learn together and develop together. And many of us then get into marriage and we fill up our lives and then we try to live a married life in passing. And we don't understand how deeply connected you need to be to the person that's in your relationship with you for it to work. And we're just running and going and passing each other in the night and just say, hey, how you doing? You know, it's so busy that we're not taking those moments to literally connect, to really keep those commitments. I told you I was going to be there for you when it was hard. I'm here. I told you that when you were going through a rough time, I would be there for you. I told you that we'd be in this together, that we're partners, that we're going to work things out and we're going to work things through. When you're hurting, I'm hurting. And when you're rejoicing, I'm rejoicing. And when you're excited, I'm excited. And when you're down, I'm with you. I'm going to pick you up. This is what we're saying. And it has to be not just what we're saying, but it has to be what we're doing. So the relational point in all this is action trumps talk every time. So good to say things. You want to say things like I love you and like I'll be there and like I'm committed. But let me tell you, it's really easy to forget all the things people say when what they do doesn't line up with what they say. In marriage, amplify that by 10,000. Verbal commitments are only as good as the action that backs them up to express love to your spouse. Keep your commitments by acting on them. Be there for each other. Love each other. Listen to each other. Communicate with each other. Be intimate with one another. Be consistent with one another. Biggest problem in relationships is inconsistency. Come on, somebody. The third and last point is this, the power of commitment. Commitment gives motivation, perseverance, and determination to never give up. If you want motivation to be able to be determined and to not give up and to not quit in your marriage, then you just need to understand there's power in commitment because commitment is not just involvement. I'm just showing up. I'm just involved. I'm there, but when it gets hard, I'm out. And you know, you don't have to leave the house or leave the marriage or leave the relationship to be out. Come on. You can be out and still be there. There are probably people in this church that right now in your relationship, right now, you're in the same house, but you're really nothing more than roommates. 
That is not God's best for you. Your marriage can be so much more. How do I do that? I, I'm determined. I'm committed. Well, how do, I, how do I get my marriage to turn? Not by, not by being committed to criticizing or committed to confront or committed to be ugly, but committed to prayer for your spouse, committed to serve your spouse, committed to love your spouse, committed to be there when you don't even understand why they're so mad. You don't understand why they're so frustrated. You don't understand what the problem is, but you just, you're there and you listen. You don't talk, you listen. And you don't just listen, but you hear. You hear what they're saying and you hear their voice and you hear their tone and you think, how, what, where are they coming from? What's going on in their world? How can I help them? Listen, there are things just naturally and physically that go on in people's lives and chemically that happen in people's lives that we need to understand. One of the greatest things you could ever do in your relationship as a spouse is to be understanding. Don't be quick to judge. Don't be quick to be hateful. Don't be quick to rush to, to, to fix things. Listen. By the way, that's not just a man thing. I hear that said all the time. Well, men are just fixers. And so men want to fix it. And that may be true, but women like to fix stuff too. Come on. We need to stop, stop thinking about things in those terms and start realizing God teaches us right here how to love one another and how to go the extra mile. Abraham Lincoln, I love what he said. He said, commitment is what transforms promise into reality. Luke chapter 8, verse 2 through 8 in the NIV, it says this. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant my justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because the widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come back and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes... Will he find this kind of faith on the earth? The relationship point here is simply this. The health of our marriage will require perseverance, determination, and motivation. It just will. We will not stop till we get there. My marriage is not healthy. I will not stop praying till we get there. I will not stop listening till we get there. I will not stop being committed until we get there. I'm not looking for a way out. I'm looking for answers. I'm looking to work it out, not get out. I want to figure out what the problems are and move our relationship forward so that we can have love and kindness and, and some kind of synergistic feeling in our family where we're together and we're in communion. Some ways commitment has become an outdated concept and it seems like a lot of aspects of relationship in today's world Instead of planning to succeed, succeed by sticking with it, we find ourselves looking for a way out or a reason to get out. Life is better with commitment. A look at love simply to close this whole series. A look at love is simply this, a look at commitment. And I'm going to say this to close. Listen to me.
He couldn't breathe. He had already been beaten. He had already been basically just physically destroyed. Covered. Covered in his own blood. Weak, in shock. You know, he was human. He was all human, all God. So his human side was completely traumatized. He took it. He took the beating. Can you imagine choosing one pain over another? The pain of pushing up on the nails so he could exhale. In all of that, he spoke. And he said things like, mother, behold your son, son, behold your mother to John and to Mary. He said things like, father, they don't get what they're doing. They don't get it. Please forgive them. He was totally committed. No matter what, the ugliness of who we were, the ugliest ugliness of what we had done, the ugliness not just of the people who stood before him and yelled, crucify, crucify, but all the generations to come after him that would not know him and would be covered in, and defeated by sin. He was saying to all of us, Father, forgive them. I'm paying the penalty for them. I am committed to this. I will not give up. I will not stop and thank God for his commitment that he went into the tomb, but he came out on the other side of that tomb because he was totally committed to you. Totally committed to you. And if that is the way that he does his bride, I want to be that for my... And I want to be that for you. The Bible says, this is how we know what love is. That Jesus laid his life down for us. And that we should also lay our life down for each other. That applies more in your marriage than it does in any other thing. You say, well, you don't understand my spouse. I know this, Jesus loves your spouse. You don't understand what I go through every day. I probably don't, but listen to me. God can help you work it out if you just keep moving forward. Just trust Him. Just allow Him to help you. Father, we thank You for Your Word today. We love You and we give You praise and we give You glory. In Jesus' name. Are you ready? church online and church in person here are you ready to receive Jesus commitment to you are you ready to make that commitment to him see when we come to know Jesus and we get in relationship with him that's exactly what's happening we're receiving that commitment he made to us and we're giving a commitment back to him it, it really looks a lot like a marriage really to be honest it looks like a groom standing up there and saying, look, I've, I've got my whole life ready and I'm committing to you and I, I'm leaving my family. 
I, I, they are not my support. They are not my, they are not my provision anymore. I have come to the place where I can provide for you and I'm coming to you, making this commitment to you that I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to help you. And then a bride on the other side, well, I'm making the same commitment to you to follow you and to partner with you and to uh, come alongside and help our, our family in any way that I can. And with these relational connection, they're really not contractual ideas. They're covenant ideas. And it looks the same way when we make a relationship with Jesus. Jesus is saying, look, I, I gave it all for you. I signed on the dotted line. I gave my blood for you. I gave my life for you. Do you want it? And then when we receive it, then there's a, a moment of not just, oh, I'm thankful for God did this for me now. I'm just going to be fine and everything's going to be. No, no, no. That, the, the, the transaction is not over. Now we make a commitment to him. To say, God, I'm not perfect, and I know that you're going to have to change a lot of things in me, and I'm not, I'm not going to be able to be perfect in the future, but I'm going to work on it, and I'm going to grow in your word, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to see. But I commit to follow you from this day forward. Not my own ways, not the world's ways, but I commit to follow you.